What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Now let's kick this thing off. Will Clemente is the lead insights analyst at Blockware. He has quickly become one of my favorite writers in all things Bitcoin, including deep dives on various on-chain analytics. In this conversation, we discuss the Bitcoin fundamentals, the on-chain metrics, what happened this past week, and what the on-chain data is telling us to be prepared for moving forward. I really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Will, as I always do. All right, let's get this episode with Will. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano runs Pomp Investments. All views of him and the guests on his podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Pomp Investments. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp or his guests as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his personal opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The young wizard, Will Clemente. What's up, man? How are you? Gentlemen. How's it going? <laughs> let's let's get into uh, the on-chain metrics this week. Uh, you start off your newsletter with uh, this whole idea around like the Fed announcing uh, the tapering and then what we're seeing in the uh, futures perpetual funding rate. So walk us through this. Cool. So what we're looking at here is A, just some price levels, and then B, Bollinger Bands with the WIC high, ta- high time frame indicator over it. It just is looking for these volatility squeezes. So you're essentially looking at where price is getting compressed and AKA where volatility slows down and we're primed up for an expansion because consolidation leads to expansion, expansion leads to consolidation. Um, and, and so what we're looking at here is this indicator identifies when we're getting ready to have one of these squeezes. Um, and then the bands are, these are Bollinger bands. I think almost anybody who does TA or is, is familiar with Bollinger bands, but essentially they're looking at the standard deviation from price. And um, you know, by definition, when price is at the bottom of the bands, price is, relatively low when it's at the top it's relatively high um and then so yeah what, what we're looking at here is these previous three volatility squeezes we had one in april um one at the bottom of summer and then the third one in september what i want to point out here is a couple things a the amount of the exactly how much time they take to play out kind of varies like if you look in april it took you know a good week or two for that to play out versus over the summer, it took about four or five days, right? And then the one over September in September took about a week. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to point out was oftentimes these squeezes break out in one direction to grab liquidity from the breakout traders before going in the opposite way. Um, and so if like if you look here, for example, in April, we broke out above the bands. So it looked like, oh, we're squeezing to the upside, right? Trapped all the traders that are looking to you know trade that breakout you know, market makers grab the liquidity or whales grab the liquidity. And then we go the other direction. Same thing over summer. It looked like we were breaking out to the downside, grab that liquidity, and then we flip to the upside. Um, and so right now we're sitting smack dab in the middle between both bands, at least at, at the time of writing. Um, but, you know, that's just something to keep in mind if you're if you're watching this moving forward. When you start to look at how the underlying um, kind of fundamentals are looking, the first thing that you wrote about was that uh, Bitcoin futures perpetual funding rate. How much, before you kind of go into what exactly that's telling us, how much do you look at like the price and things like Bollinger Bands, et cetera, uh, being driven by these underlying fundamentals? Or do you think that there's some reverse uh, element that people are actually reacting to price? Like, are they driving price or reacting to price in your opinion um, when you're actually looking at kind of like a macro analysis of Bitcoin? Well, it's both. I mean, you know, some people sit in like the, you know, 
efficient market hypothesis and they say everything's priced in, you know, then there's people like, you know, I'm reading George Soros's book, Alchemy of Finance right now. And he's talking about essentially, you know, people aren't making decisions based off of what's best for them. They're making decisions off of what they perceive to be the best decision for them to make. And so like with that being said, I think, you know, when, it, when we're talking about like news, I mean, people are just reacting to what they think is the appropriate reaction to the news, not necessarily what's the correct reaction to news. Um, as far as the fundamentals go, I think you're kind of, are you like implying like, like on chain when you're, when you're saying fundamentals? Correct. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, so I look at it two ways when, when we have like, we're talking about like supply and, and those kinds of things, like supply getting locked up that those, those things or supply, you know, becoming liquid, those kinds of things tend to be leading indicators. But at the same time, price can affect, um, you know, market participant behavior. Um, you know, if we start to see like prolonged downtrend, you know, people that were previously really strong hodlers, you know, they may, you know, let, let's say someone bought in five months ago, right? And they've now become a long-term holder. They bought in now, they would be in June. And so they've held since June, you know, they, they you know, they, they've held through the bottom of the, of the bear, but they pretty much like, you know, just experienced up only. Um, and so then, you know, let's say we start to reverse pretty heavily. Well, then, you know, those, what were previously long-term holders, they may say, oh, well, forget this, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> and because they were just expecting, you know, some, some major reversal off of the, off of the summer lows. And so what I'm trying to get at is just like a lot of times on-chain is a leading indicator, but there are certain occasions where, you know, fundamentals are, are affected by price. Um, or if you have news events too, you know, you can, you can see the reaction of that stuff in the data. So it's like, oftentimes I don't really look at news too much. I mean, I, I, I do watch news, you know, like major headlines. I have like, you know, like alerts on like market watch, but generally speaking, the way I kind of think through that is you can, you can really get caught up in, in, um, your biases around like news and, and, you know, it's one thing to keep up with the Bitcoin market, but then to try to like become a global macro, you know, expert, like that's like, you know, you're just not gonna be able to do that. And so what I, what I look for is what is, what is, what are the market participants actually doing in reaction to the news? And then I can, then I kind of use that as a way to gauge like, okay, is, you know, is the market completely changing behavior based off this news? Well, you know, maybe that's something actually serious versus, you know, we got China banning Bitcoin for the 20 millionth time. No one cares. Right. And you can see that in the data. So I, I would say like, I, I tend to look at the data to gauge what the reaction is from, you know, from the news or whatever. I, I think that's a great way to, uh, to kind of frame it as to, as to how you look at it. All right. Let's talk about futures perpetual funding rate. What's going on here? Right. So this is based off of the delta between the spot index. So a weighted average of all the, the spot price, uh, that, that's the index and the actual mark price on the individual perp exchanges. So that's, that's the mark price and the weighted average of all the spot exchanges. And that's the delta between the two. And that's, that's used to uh, create the funding rate. So what you're basically looking at is how aggressive are, you know, perp traders relative to the spot market. Uh, and so we've talked about this, God, I don't know, for probably months now, but what I really wanted to, to show here is that we got this little reset after the, after the Fed announced that they were going to do tapering, you know, okay, they decided they were going to stop printing and it's, you know, as much money as they, they were, you know, still printing insane amounts of money, but uh, the market, you know, market reset a little bit, got bought up uh, pretty quickly after that correction. We've now seen funding come back a little bit. I mean, it's not like outlandish, you know, it's not ideal. I just, I don't think there's any strong signal from it at the time where, where, you know, we've talked about this in the past where I think funding really has um, 
is actionable is when it's diverging from price action. So like when you have a dislocation between, let's say, uh, price is grinding down, funding is rising. You know, that's it's showing you that the the effort that the perp traders are trying to exert is, is being overwhelmed by selling from spot. Or conversely, if price is rising and funding is is decreasing, um, you know, th- those are the those are the kind of things that I try to look at in terms of you know when when funding is actionable. Just because funding is positive doesn't necessarily mean it's bearish, right? Like if the funding is up, that doesn't mean that we're automatically about to nuke. Um, but with that in mind, where where I you know do think it can it could be kind of like a cautionary thing is when you when you kind of zoom out and look and see that we haven't had negative funding in over a month. Uh, we briefly reached negative funding, uh, kind of ironically on the fifth of of last month. Uh, but yeah, I mean at some point. We'll probably get a at least a slight, um, you know, flush of of aggregated funding into negative territory, um, and and I'm not once again I'm not saying that just because funding is positive that we're automatically going to go down, but it's just something to keep in mind. You know, we talk about this with Soper too, right? Like at some point it's going to come back down and retest that one threshold. Similar thing with with the you know with with funding. At some point we're going to get a flush back down to negative territory, and it's kind of just something you you know look at and say, okay, like with that in mind, you know we're in a broader context, like we're, we're susceptible to some kind of flush at some point in the future. You have a brand new chart that you included this order book, uh, uh, visual. I've never seen this before. So you're gonna have to explain to us what exactly is going on here. Um, cause it looks beautiful, but, uh, maybe confusing both to me and to other people. Yeah, totally. So this chart actually isn't the, the order book stuff. Um, I think I've thrown the order book charts in there before I use trading light for that. Um, but I, I, talked about order books because it kind of relates to the bottom section. So to start off with with what I was saying about order books, you see a pretty strong confluence of bids right across 60K, across several major exchanges. But as we've talked about before, these orders can be spoofs. Uh, And so basically, like you can use these big bidder ask walls to generate liquidity for the opposite. You know, let's say I like to use examples to explain things. Um, Let's say, you know, you, you think price is going to go higher, but price is starting to run away from you. And you're this huge whale where you can set a giant ask wall. It's essentially this sell wall. And you can kind of cap off the price, right? And no retail guy is going to want to sell into that because it's a huge order. And so what they're actually doing is, is they can use that to actually fill buys on the other end of that because they're generating liquidity right below their, their, their ask wall in that case. Or conversely, let's say, uh, the market's starting to go down, and they want to get out of their position, but you know they can't. They can't start market selling because they'll incur a lot of slippage, and price will just start running away from them. What they can do is they can set a massive bid wall, and they can actually be filling sells as pe- as they're generating liquidity because retail doesn't want to um, retail doesn't want to sell into that giant wall buys right, um, and so they can use these things to kind of get in maneuver in and out of positions. It's not as straightforward as. Oh, you see a bid, bid, a, a large bid. So that means that it's you know automatically bullish, and there's like a huge wall of bull whales sitting there waiting to scoop up coins. It's a bit more nuanced than that. But with that being said, um, I do think like a lot of traders are seeing these bids in confluence with 60k just being a really strong level. Like Suzu was joking around saying like the Great Wall of 60k. You know, I think over the last week or so, you've seen that hold up as a pretty strong level. And keep in mind, you know, we're just ranging, you know, the last couple of days. Um, but that 60K level, when you look, you know, and this, this gets to this chart, this chart is looking at all the liquidation levels. So we can see 
you know, let's say price gets below X number. Well, there's a lot of liquidations there, right? And and so what you see, and I kind of highlighted this in this little black box is all those, those pink lines are showing you there's a lot of long liquidations and particularly people who are 25X long. Um, and in that, in that little cluster there, and that's right below 60K. Uh, and so what I'm, what I'm trying to say here, and, and I know I kind of sound like I'm saying, well, price could go up or down, right? Um, and first of all, you know, I don't have a very strong opinion about the price in the short term, other than we're probably going to get a large move because of we talked about, you know, volatility, the volatility squeeze. Um, but with that being said, if we do get below 60K with volume, if we see a high volume breakout, then I think you'll probably start to see these long liquidations. Um, you know, you'll start to see like a cascade of longs get liquidated because you can see all those levels set just below um, 60K in that chart there. So this is something that I've started looking at recently, but have never thrown in the newsletter before. But I look at it in confluence with funding. And then also like uh, we've talked about the convexity that, coin margin to open interest has, I look at it in confluence with that. So, you know, like, you know, theoretical bear case would be like an enormous amount of liquidations under the, under a certain price level. Um, you know, you're seeing funding rising as price keeps going down and they're all coin margined open interest, con- you know, coin margin contracts that are being opened. And you can see that in open interest, like that would be like a theoretical, you know, bear scenario, but um, yeah, just another thing to use in confluence with some of those other metrics. Before we continue, you're getting better, man. I, I love it. Let's keep going. I, I can tell you're learning a ton because you're you're killing it right now. Uh, the adjusted Sopra, we, you and I and Sopra, we, we're just chilling there cheering Sopra when you walk into the parties at ECU. Uh, adjusted Sopra, what's going on here? Yeah, so Sopra is our spent output profit ratio. So we're looking at when a coin was last moved and when, when it's being moved now. So the we can look at the amount of profit or loss that that coin is realizing. You know, coin last moved at 50K, now moves at 40K, just random number. Um, you know, okay, it's realized it's realized $10,000 of net loss. Coin last moved at 40K, now moves at 50K, it's realized $10,000 of net profit. And so we can run the ratio of all the coins that are being spent on a given day and we get SOPR, which is spent output profit ratio. And then we, and then we're looking here at the adjusted version, which filters out all the transactions or outputs uh, below one hour to kind of filter out some of that noise. And then once, I, and then on top of that, I threw a 14-day moving average because that really smooths it out to give us this broader picture. Um, you you can look at it in, in like on the on the uh, on like just the regular daily version, which I do that. But you know, we're talking about like in this section of the newsletter, I wanted to kind of navigate from. I try to structure it so like we look at the short-term stuff and then move more, you know, more macro. So here I'm just trying to paint the picture uh, of, of what's that broader context, but you can use the daily version. What, we're, what I'm looking at here is we're, we're still in bullish territory as long as we're above one. We'll be bearish once we come back down below that one threshold. Um, and then again, you know, if we come back up and have a, have a failed uh, retest of that one line. Um, but I remain, you know, I remain macro bullish using SOPR. Um, as long as we stay above this one threshold, because we came back down and retested one as support when we when we retested 40k, uh, whatever a month ago or so, uh, very similarly to as you'll see after the the September correction before the major run up we had last year, right in you know at the beginning of October, it was very similar. We came back down and, and retested that one threshold right on the dot. So and then over summer too, you'll see as I talked about. 
you know, bearish, uh, you know, a bearish confirmation would be coming back up and, and failing to break above that one threshold after breaking below, which you could see we did over summer. So, um, yeah, I mean, as, as long, yeah, once again, like as long as we're above it, I mean, I don't see anything to be entirely concerned about. When you look at the short-term holder profit loss ratio, this seems to be following a similar trend. Yeah, so this was created by David, uh, David Poyle, I think in the last couple of weeks. Um, what you're looking at is all the ratio of all the short-term holder, uh, the, the short-term holders in, in profit versus loss. Um, so rather than in SOPA, we're looking at all the spent outputs. So we're looking at all the coins, the coins being spent on a given day and the, the profits or losses being realized versus in this chart, we're looking at specifically short-term holders. You can look at short-term holder SOPA, by the way, not to get confusing, but we're looking at just the short-term holders and the profit and loss that they're that they're sitting in, not realizing if that makes sense. Um, and so it's it's very similar in the sen- in, in the sense that you have this one we have this one threshold that kind of operates as this this cutoff for bullish or bearish uh, market trends. And once again, very just like Soper, um, in bullish market trends, you want to buy the dips along one, and you want to sell or or you know perhaps you know hold off buying uh, for for long term holders. Uh, the retests from the underside uh, below one. And so right now, once again, as long as we're above this one threshold, um, I don't see anything to be entirely concerned about in a broader context. When you start to go ahead and look at the illiquid supply shock ratio out of all the charts today, this is the one I have the biggest question about. It just keeps climbing and climbing and climbing and climbing. Uh, Is that good? Or at some point, could we cross over into like, no, it's actually gone too high and there's like a negative side effect? Yeah, I don't... I think I think there's a couple like con- confusion, like a, a bit of confusion around this. A a that and like B people like to say, oh well, the ratio is now at the same level it was at at 64k earlier this year, or whatever 65k when we topped out. You know how's that not bearish? Um, and then also, you know, how are we at a higher me- uh, ratio? You know than we are now when we were in 2017 at at 20k. Uh, the way the way I look at this is you just try to think about what is it showing from first principles. It's just showing that supply is moving to these illiquid entities, so it's moving to these entities who um, sell less than twenty five percent of the coins they take in, or they hold at least seventy five percent. So you know they take in four coins, they hold at least three of them, um, and, and so it, it's only factoring in supply versus there's obviously a whole another you know part of the equation which is demand, um, and so you know. To me, this you know this doesn't necessarily mean that oh we're at a certain level that translates to something in price. To me, it's just showing that more supply is getting locked up. I look at it more of like what does this mean from first principles rather than looking back at a certain value and attaching that to price per se because we don't have we don't have the the demand equation as well. But you know one thing to note though is obviously declining uh, a liquid supply shock ratio is is bearish because it's showing that supply is becoming uh, liquid. From entities that were that were previously illiquid, so you know coins that were previously locked up are now getting unlocked and or or AKA are now being you know spent into the market, um, and so like we're currently getting above where we were earlier this year. We're reaching like 2021 um, all time highs, which also means that we're now at the highest uh, point in the ratio since since we were in, in uh, late 2017. It also kind of resembles a similar structure where we had you know this this peak in like. You know, the early part of early 2017, uh, I don't know, I can't tell the exact time, um, but then, you know, we came back down just like we did over summer and then had another up thrust in that 
before having this prolonged downtrend. Um, and so I would be kind of looking for something similar. If we start to see, you know, this, this, this declining for say, you know, a week or two on end, then I'll probably get, you know, pretty cautious because uh, it's showing, you know, supply is, is becoming liquid. I, I kind of like to use a liquid supply more than exchange balances, to be honest. Um, like if, if you'll notice, like I haven't really thrown exchange balances in my analysis for like a good month or two. The reasoning is just because you're, you're so reliant on the heuristics from whatever like data provider you're using, um, whether that's Glassnode, Coinmetrics and CryptoQuant. And, you know, these guys are brilliant, like they're excellent data scientists, but it's never perfect because exchanges are constantly shifting how they're, you know, holding custody or, or you know, how, how their transactions are, like all these different things are constantly changing. Um, and so you can never get it perfect. And Glassnode is missing a couple major, you know, spot exchanges, one being like FTX, which is a big one for me. And so I kind of like to use liquid supply as a better proxy for exchange balances because, um, you know, the, the exchange balances are defined, are, are in that liquid supply cohort. Um, and so, like, you can kind of look to see if liquid supply is, is uh, increasing or declining. And so inadvertently seeing the liquid supply shock ratio increasing is also saying that coins are coming off exchanges, if that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense. Uh, we've got this long-term holder supply shock that kind of continues to roll over, as you mentioned. Um, and I think one of the, the pieces, uh, Dylan LeClaire said this at one point, um, and there's some questions that people have, so maybe you can explain it, which is when you see the long-term holders holding, increases the illiquid supply, new demand comes in, price has to go up to accommodate everyone. I think most people can wrap their head around that. But when you start to see the long-term holders rolling over and they're distributing some of the Bitcoin into the, the market or into uh, new investors' hands, that's, an as you put in the letter, a natural bull market behavior. But to some people, it feels like that's a bad thing. So how, how do you evaluate it and kind of explain what's going on here? Yeah, totally. So the way this works is that in bear markets, long-term holders are buying because by definition, you know, they have long-term conviction in the asset. They're looking to buy when Bitcoin is discounted, when there's no, you know, hype and, and mania around it. And that's when Bitcoin tends to be the cheapest. And that's, you know, in, in by definition in the bear market. And so they lock up a large enough portion of supply that we get this supply shock effect in the market. And as that, as that occurs, the incremental demand is going to have to keep bidding higher and higher. And, and as price starts to run up, that kind of initiates the momentum of, of price in the market. And that's it. That's that starts at, at the very beginning by long term guys locking up a large enough portion of supply and, and initiating that that supply shock effect. Um, but once that you know, Bitcoin is a highly reflexive asset, and and so you know once once that momentum kind of takes off, you start to get you know outside capital come into the market, speculators come in the market, retail enters the market, and then the the bull market basically the momentum has taken a life of its own. And the long-term holders no longer have to keep locking up supply to initiate that momentum. And so once that once that kind of uh, you know momentum or reflexivity, however you want to define it, kind of takes a life of its own, then the long-term guys can start to distribute into that strength. And so that's what we see throughout you know every major peak uh, throughout Bitcoin's history. We saw it in both peaks in 2013. Long-term holders locked up supply in between those those two double pumps and then sold into the second double pump again. Um, in 2017, you saw the same behavior as well as 2019 and last year. And so it's it's you know it's very natural to see these guys start to distribute as the you know short-term guys or, or the speculators are coming in and buying their bags. And it's also saying that. If you're seeing price appreciation with long-term holders spending, 
Well, that means that new outside capital is now coming into the market. Um, and so that kind of leads us also to the next metric that I pulled up, the spent volume age bands. It's another way of showing the same thing. Uh, and so we, we've talked about the spent output age bands, which is just looking at the percentage of the outputs on a given day. Uh, but this is actually looking at the volume. Um, and so this is a bit more, this is a, a more accurate version of, of spent output age bands, in my opinion. You're, you're looking at the amount of volume on every on every given day that's like coming from each each denominated cohort. And so when you look at the amount of volume coming from or the amount of uh, coins being spent from one month or older entities, you're starting to see that increase as well. And I put a 14 day moving average on this as well. So you kind of have to you have to have a pretty strong trend for this to really reflect in, in the chart. Uh, and it's just another way of showing you're seeing these older coins um, being spent just like you see in the in the long-term holder supply shock ratio. And so when you start to look at this, um, there's this entity adjusted ASOL, right, which uh, you've got here. And what is fascinating, as I kind of just eye it up, and again, you're, you're much well versed in this than I am, in January of 21, this thing absolutely spiked very high, right? And that's when we went from kind of 10 to 30, and then we continued on from 30 to 60. Why is it that the entity adjusted ASOL would spike between, let's call it like the beginning of November to January, but it wouldn't spike from January to March? Like what's going on there? Sure. So ASOL is the average spent output lifespan. Um, and so we've talked about several of these different lifespan metrics. Um, you know, we just looked at long-term holder supply, spent volume, age bands. This is another way of kind of looking at, at the same thing, except there's no volume weighted to this. You're just looking at all the coins trading on a given day and just the raw average um, age of all those coins being spent. Uh, and so, you know, as, as I think we've talked about before, the long-term guys don't perfectly time the top. Like they don't perfectly time the bottom either. They buy, you know, into the, into, into weakness and they sell into strength. That's why I always say into, and I don't say like they sell the top or buy the bottom. They, they don't perfectly time these things. They kind of average in and average out. Um, and, and so that's what you saw, you know, at the beginning of this year. Yeah. They didn't perfectly time like the 60 K top, but they started selling really aggressively. And, and that's shown by this spike here. Once we had that first up thrust up to like, you know, or I think it was like the, earlier or mid uh, 40Ks. So that, that's all that's showing. Um, and then, you know, overall you had like increased spending from these older guys. As we went into the summer though, you saw this decline. So you saw less spending from, uh, from, these, from these older coins, which doesn't necessarily mean that you see accumulation. Um, it just means that you're, you're not seeing spending. So, you know, high, high spending from older guys is, is a bearish thing. But low spending from from older guys, when we're looking at this metric, isn't necessarily bullish because it's just saying that they're not spending. It doesn't say that they're buying, and so that's where you know like you look at like long term holder supply. That's where that like comes into comes into play. Um, but yeah, I mean you've started to see if you look on the on the right half of the chart in confluence with the other two charts we just showed. Once again, long term uh, long term holders or or these older coins are are starting to be uh, starting to be spent. Uh, and then two other ways you want you can look at it too if if you are interested is uh, coin days destroyed and then also dormancy which is the volume adjusted version of coin days destroyed. The last one you have is this on chain cost basis. What's going on here? Yeah, so this is Dylan's metric. I think this is actually one of the one of the main metrics I'm going to use to kind of look for when when we're getting overheated uh, over the next couple of months or or maybe into the beginning of next year. Uh, by the way, like. Often, oftentimes people like to say, or, or people ask me, like my buddies will say, when, when is the bull run going to end? You know, 
is it is it December? Is it January? And everyone, of course, wants to know, you know, what's the exact price? I don't really look at it that way, per se. What I'm looking for as like an on-chain analyst is what are the behaviors that are occurring that that have previously, you know, resembled euphoria or exuberance in the market. And so this is one of those oscillators or, or, or metrics that you can use to kind of identify that. So we're looking at the short-term holder realized price, which is the, the capitalization weighted by the last time coins were spent uh, or last time coins were moved. Um, and so like, let's say you're, you're Roger Ver and you bought you know, 100,000 BTC at a dollar and you've never moved those coins. Well, although you know, those coins are now worth billions, if you haven't moved them since then in realized cap terms, it's still only adding $100,000 to realized cap. And so you're basically getting like this volume weighted average price via via on chain. Uh, and so you can then separate that from from short term holders and long term holders and compare uh, and realize prices synonymous with with cost basis when we're looking at this. And, and so it's just showing the realized price or cost basis of short term guys measured up against the long term guys. When the short term when the short term cost basis or realized price goes below the long term holder realized uh, realized price or cost basis, it's showing essentially that the the short term guys are leaving the market and capitulating at the very bottom of the market because it's you know it's no longer fun you know Bitcoin's not just going up only and so that's when the long term guys really step in and are, are dominating the market and are setting the floor as we talked about and then at you know along the top part where we have this this little red line on the screen. And that's showing when when short-term holder realized price is blowing out relative to long-term holder realized price. So you have a lot of new market entrants, a lot of exuberance, et cetera. Joe and John, what questions do you guys got for Will? Will, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? It's going well, man. Uh, So my question's about, you tweeted earlier about the volatility squeeze uh, coming up. So we've seen the last three or four, it's not a directional indicator, right? It could go either way, but there's been massive moves. Uh, kind of how are you looking at this and, and do you have a prediction on kind of what's going to come uh, out of it? I think I kind of tried to allude to this, but I don't really have a strong opinion about the very short-term price. Um, I think we'll we'll know more, like I know this sounds kind of silly, but we'll know, we'll know more once price starts moving in one direction or the other. Um, I do think though that like, We've seen this pattern where prices started to break out to one to one way of, of you know of the squeeze, grab liquidity and then gone the opposite direction. So based off that pattern, the last three times I'd be a bit biased to say like if price starts to break upwards initially, then it m- probably I'm I'm going to lean more towards going down. And then conversely, if it starts to break to the downside first, then we probably get a, a, a reversal to the upside. Um, but I mean, yeah, Ben, I, I don't really have a strong opinion here about. Um, the short-term price, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, just, just be honest. Like if, if I don't know, I just, you know, I just yeah, try yeah. to say, I, I don't know, you know, what, but what, the long, long-term hasn't changed. I would say what metrics though, are you watching once that break happens? Yeah. Okay. So funding, first of all, like that, you know, I'm always looking at funding, um, liquidations as well. Some of these liquidation levels we talked about, you know, if those start to get tagged, you know, are we starting to see a cascade kind of start to initiate, um, you know, Obviously, like if, if funding is starting to rise, you're seeing you know more liquidation levels pop up below, then you're probably going to see further downside. Um, and then also, you know, looking at some of these on-chain metrics like SOPR, you know, is, is SOPR bouncing off a of one? Um, also, you know, we can look at like 
what, what's going on with the order books um, or, or a bunch of bids starting to step in um, CVD, the cumulative volume Delta. We talked about that last week, you know, is, is the spot CVD starting to, you know, increase aggressively. So are we starting to see a strong spot bid and people interested in buying um, volume too? Like if we, if, if we, if we start to break below 60 K and we have really low volume, then we probably are going to see a reversal like that. You know, that's what happened when we were consolidating over the summer. Um, and we had that move down to 29 K it was on pretty much low, no volume. So no one really wanted to sell down there. Uh, but you know, if you see a really high volume move down below 60 K, then that, you know, we'll probably see further downside. That's, that's, those are some of the things I'm looking at, but volume is volume is definitely, um, important here. Gotcha. John. Well, how you doing? Glad to see you safe from Halloween weekend. Can you talk about kind of the whales and then um, smaller coin holders and what they're doing in this bull market and what they've done historically? Like, do we expect to see a lot of long-term holders and whales kind of distribute their coins to those new entrance entrance participants, I guess? Um, or do we expect them to kind of just hold on? Right. So I, I guess we can start with the small guys. Um, when you look at this chart, this is a pretty easy explanation. You just look at it. It goes up and to the right. And the reason is because you have this really hardcore base of people um, that are just DCAing, you know, every whatever couple of days or once a week. Or they're taking a passive amount of their income every so often and just throwing it into Bitcoin no matter what. You know, they're stacking during the bull market, bear market. Um, of course, you see this uptick a little bit more in the in the in the bull run. Uh, but you know, generally speaking, it is pretty much just up and to the right. No, never any major drawdowns in that sense. Um, with the whales, though, they're a bit more strategic with their positioning. Uh, when you really zoom it out, you're you know, look at like all of, all of Bitcoin's price history and all of their be you know history of behavior throughout that entire, you know, entire uh, existence of Bitcoin, what you see generally is similar to the long-term holders. When they start buying really aggressively, that's usually when we start to initiate a multi-month rally. Um, and, and so, you, you, you know, you've seen this in 2017, um, at the beginning of, of the 2019 mini bull run, like at the, at the very big, at the very bottom of, of 2018 coming, coming into 2019, you saw a big uptick in wealth holdings. Um, and then also at the end of last year, you saw that behavior as well. We saw that at the end of July. Um, and so now with that being said, you had whales buying at the end of summer really aggressively. I forget the number off the top of my head, uh, but you have started to see them distribute a bit and take some profits. Um, and then actually over the last like two or three weeks, they've started accumulating again. So like over the last call a month and a half, they've kind of just been like ranging their holdings, if that makes sense. But they really popped after July. And that that kind of correlates with a lot of the behavior that you see um, like historically throughout, you know, Bitcoin's Bitcoin's existence is that they kind of are the ones. Well, by definition, they're the big buyers. Right. They initiate these these you know multi-month rallies. And I wouldn't be surprised to see, uh, you know, whales distributing. I've actually kind of been surprised that they've started buying again over the last like month and a half, to be honest, because usually you start to see them distribute throughout all of the strength throughout the, the bull run. Um, when you when you look at like we're just talking about like you know Bitcoin supply distribution over time, when you take up, you know, when you take the percentage of Bitcoin supply that's held by the small guys. So we're looking at like 10 BTC and less um, and you plot that out. What you see is that retail holds a larger and larger portion of supply over time. Um, and so this, this is one way to look at, you know, although Bitcoin is still very young, the supply distribution is heading in the right direction. You get a lot of these people like, uh, you know, they'll come out and, and post like bad data, usually based like around addresses that'll say, oh, well, you know, 
X amount of Bitcoin supply is held by this small amount of people, which is complete nonsense, right? Because all those those large addresses, or even if they're using like entities data, but usually these people, you know, by definition, because like usually they don't know what they're talking about, they're using addresses. Um, you know, it's like exchanges or custody solutions. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, they're holding Bitcoin for like hundreds of thousands or millions of people when you're talking about like, you know, Coinbase or, or Binance. Um, and, or, you know, if it's like a custody, institutional custody provider, you know, they're holding Bitcoin for, you know, several different clients with, with large holdings. So you have like Grayscale, right, who holds like over 600,000 BTC. So, you know, it's it's more nuanced than like some of these people who try to say like Bitcoin supply distribution is, is so concentrated. It's not, it's definitely not perfect. It's definitely not, you know, completely ideal, but it's trending in the right direction. And over time, I think we'll get there just because, you know, Throughout Bitcoin's monetization, you know, you're going to have people who got in earlier on, um, and this is this kind of sounds like a Ponzi scheme. I'm not even going to lie, but this is just how this is just how all markets work. The people who get in earlier, you know, they're going to sell once they're once they're way up, right? You know, either they're going to reinvest their assets into something else. Once Bitcoin's monetization slows down, then I think you know you'll you'll start to you'll start to distribute Bitcoin into you know stocks or um, you know, other like business ventures, once we have better valuations on these things and like we have interest rates based off of Bitcoin and not just like manipulated Fed nonsense. Um, but uh, yeah, I think over time, though, you'll you'll see this supply distribution continue to to trend in the direction it is. Cool. Appreciate that. Well, when you think about where we are right now, it seems like you are a short term question mark, long term bullish. Fair? Yeah. For, yeah. This week, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, you're smiling like that's like a, a is that a good thing, a bad thing? I, I don't know. I just feel like usually I kind of have a strong opinion when I come on here. But yeah, this week, not really. I think you're doing a great job, man. All right, buddy. Thank you so much for uh, for coming on. Anyone who uh, who does not follow Will, please go follow him. His uh, newsletter is linked there in his Twitter account uh, with Blockware. Go check out uh, all the great work he's doing. He just continues to uh, do a, a fantastic job. Will, so thanks for coming on excited. today. You brought the heat. All right, buddy. Well. we'll talk soon. All right, take it easy. Have a good weekend. Later.